Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So this morning, for our scripture passage, I'm going to read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. It's actually on the front of your bulletin this time. So if you'd like to follow along, it's that passage on the front. But again, Proverbs 16, 16 through 18, I bet at least part of this you knew. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their way preserve their lives. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So something came up this week that made me think of that phrase that just kind of sits in the back of my head somewhere that says, pride goes before a fall. You guys probably have heard that one before, right? And so I have to confess, though, that when it came to my mind, and I'll explain a little, in a little bit why it came to my mind, uh, when it came to my mind, I said to myself, wait a second, is that one in the Bible? Or is that one in the book of cliché? Remember I talked about the book of cliché? Like, uh, if, God doesn't clo- if God closes a door, he'll open a window, right? That's not in the Bible, that's in the book of cliché. These are passages we think the Bible should say, or... How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. Trust me, guys, that one's not in the Bible. (laughs) That one shouldn't be anywhere near the Bible. But the book of cliche, and I was like, is it the book of cliche or is it in the Bible? And it turns out it's in the Bible. Pride goes before a fall. And it's so common of a phrase that it kind of sits in the back of my head that I, I really didn't know. Did I hear it growing up from the Bible or did I just hear it as sort of common wisdom? And then I found it, thank, thank you God for Google, and it turns out it's in the book of Proverbs. And that's when I went, okay, this is what we need to talk about on Sunday morning. Because I don't know if you know this, the book of Proverbs is just, it is a wonderful book, okay? It does something different than the rest of the Bible, okay? So let me explain. If you think about it, most of the time, the way we talk about what's in the Bible is and this is a very big, broad generalization, but it goes something like this. There's God, God speaks, we try and write it down. 3,000 words, Old Testament, New Testament together, that's more or less it. So you kind of picture Moses goes up the mountain, he gets the commandments from God, he writes them down as the Ten Commandments, and they come down the mountain. Now, it's always way more interesting and dynamic throughout the Bible than that, but here's the thing about Proverbs, and it's, it's the opposite of that idea. It is literally the opposite of the idea. So Proverbs comes from an ancient school of thought, right? You got to picture this as the ancient Israelites, and they had philosophers in a particular school. Uh, They didn't go to school, but they had groups that got together, and their task wasn't to try and, you know, hear God from on high speak. Theirs was, we're going to observe the world, right? Not look up, look out. We know that the world is created by God, so if we start to see patterns in the world, we're going to start making generalizations about those patterns. And then they get together and they talk about it, and that's how we get the book of Proverbs. It's not 
uh, it's not this vertical thing, it's a very horizontal thing. In fact, it's a predecessor in many ways to the scientific method, because what are they doing? They're making observations about the world and then trying to generalize or make those things come together in a way that makes sense. And so the task was always, okay, if you can say this, what if this other thing comes along and changes your mind or challenges it? How do you change the phrasing? How do you do it differently? And so we get the book of Proverbs out of that. It is, it is wisdom from the observed world saying, through that you will learn something about God and yourself. And the fact that this passage is from the Proverbs, and what I want you to think about this morning is doing exactly what they did. Instead of thinking about this passage as, oh, it's the word of God, I have to believe it. That's a really flat way of doing, doing it. Think of it as they're inviting you into their same way of doing their thought. Observe the world. What do you see? What can you generalize as true? Kind of an experimental way of thinking about it. And the question is, pride comes before a fall. Is that true? Sit here and think about it for a while. I'll take you through a couple of examples and we'll, we'll kind of explore it. So a good place to start, at least as Christians, to explore an observable thing is, so in that, you know, God speaks and then we write it down way, is there anything else in the Bible that we would observe and say that agrees with pride comes before a fall? Anybody think of any stories that they think where pride comes before a fall? I know, I'm putting you on the spot. That's okay. Samson. Very good, right? Awesome. Samson, uh, the guy who was really strong as long as he had long hair, and then when he married a woman who cut off his hair, he lost all his power. Pride comes before a fall. Good. I have a very, almost literal one to that, though. It's in the New Testament. Peter gets up out of a boat, and he walks out on the water, and he thinks he can do it. Then he realizes he can't do it. And what does he do? He falls into the water. Jesus has to rescue him. Peter's actually a really good place to start with this sort of, like, what can we observe about pride? Because Peter, in the New Testament, Peter, think of it this way. Peter, Peter was around when the New Testament got written, right, for most of it. He didn't write it himself, but it's almost like the Bible is his authorized autobiography. He was around when these things got written. And so it's really his take on his life that we're seeing being told in the story. So when Peter uh, got up out of a boat and walked on water but then sank, he authorized us to know that about him. When Peter was, you know, walking behind Jesus, and praising Jesus and telling Jesus what a great guy he was and then kind of started saying, so Jesus, you should do this, you should do this. Jesus, this is how you should be, Jesus. And then what does Jesus say to him in that moment? Get behind me, Satan. In Peter's authorized autobiography, he's like, yeah, Jesus called me Satan. <laughs> Can you imagine putting that in your autobiography? Jesus called me Satan. He authorized us to know that he denied Jesus three times. Why does he do all that? Why does he allow the story to be less than, you know, this glowing recommendation of being like Peter? 
after the resurrection, there is that scene, and I imagine this was something that Peter was happy to put in the story. After the resurrection, Jesus sits him down, and in sort of a reversal of the three denials of Jesus, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He asks him three times. So we get that scene where there's almost this sort of uh, embodiment of forgiveness of the denials with Jesus say, with giving Peter the opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, I love you. And remember, it's from that story that Jesus then says to Peter, on you, you're the rock on which I will build my church. There is this literal word of calling into Peter's life that says, you need to be the next leader of this movement. I'm ascending into heaven and I'm leaving this with you. You've got to be the example. And I actually think, if you just look at it, he goes, yeah, he's willing to show you all of the bad stuff that came before because now he recognizes he needs to be the example. He can be the example. He can give the gospel, the good news, that there is transformation in God, that we change, that we're sanctified, that salvation leads to us becoming better people. Now, first you've got to tell the part where you were not great at being a disciple. So yeah, I mean, if you're just looking again at, at this as a proverb, as an issue of wisdom literature and Proverbs, pride comes before a fall, I would bet Peter go, yeah, it certainly does. I fell a lot. How about another one? Anybody, others, anybody else have any ones that come to mind this morning? Because I got one more from the Bible. Alan, we are, we are thinking the same thing. He said David, right? You said David? Yes. You know, in the New Testament, Peter is the rock on which Christ will build his church. If you look for an Old Testament character with that much significance, it's clearly got to be David. Because remember, when Jesus was born in the world, how important it was that he was part of the Davidic line. David was the king in the Old Testament that every other king got judged by. He was the king who, um, you know was chosen by God because God said, I looked at your heart, not the outward sign. I see what's in your heart. And so David is literally known in the Bible as the man after God's own heart. Pride comes before a fall. What's the most famous David story you can think of? David and... <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would get out if I said it that way. David and Goliath, right? See, here's where we might actually find a challenge to pride comes before a fall because how does that story go david's a kid and he goes and finds his bro his brothers who are fighting the philistines but they're at a stalemate because all the israelites and his brothers are terrified to go out and fight because there's this giant named goliath out in the field they know they can't beat him or at least they think they can't beat him and here comes david he's like i got this and Saul, the king, tries to put him in a bunch of armor that doesn't fit. And David's like, I don't need your stuff. And he goes out there with nothing more than a slingshot. And he declares before everyone, today they will prove that there is a God in Israel. I don't know. On the surface, it certainly looks like this guy is full of pride, doesn't it? Like, he's got this. And he does. He swings that arrow, or the slingshot, and boom, hits Goliath right in the forehead, and Goliath goes down. Maybe, and remember, the process of proverbial thinking, 
is you take the statement you go if you have new evidence that means the phrase doesn't work maybe the phrase has to change and pride comes before a fall how many times have you ever met a christian or maybe it's been yourself and you said to yourself well all i need to do is have faith and i can move mountains jesus promised that yeah maybe or maybe your pride's in the way you know with david at the very least you can say that when he stood up and he fought goliath he wasn't saying hey world look at me i'm going to prove that i can do this he said today i prove that there's a god in israel so at the very least he's giving credit to god but prideful people can do that they can say they can say out loud they can confess out loud they're doing it because god is allowing them to do it when really they it's about them it happens but at least he says that but more importantly than all this and i know david and goliath is the most famous story you also have to remember that from this moment there is way more to david's life it's sort of like you might have won this battle david but you didn't win the war certainly against his pride when david becomes king he wants to be the one to build the temple and god literally pushes back on him and says david i didn't ask you to do that stop making this about you i mean that's more or less what god has to say to david when david becomes king and right now he's mr in charge what's like the first thing he does he has an affair he cheats on his wife with a married woman and when it's going to, about to be found out because the woman he had the affair with is pregnant what does he do he tries and covers it up because he's king and he can pull it off so he has the man killed in battle the hubris of him now standing at the throne being the king i'm pretty sure that story stands there for exactly that reason to go see what happens when you have this kind of power you go from being a God, man after god's own heart and you become something else and by the way that story really is the pivot point in a lot of david's life because god says to him after that you're going to have problems in your household you're still my king i'm still going to make a davidic line through history through you but david this is going to rot your family from the inside out and that's what happens david goes on and he has kids and a lot of the stories have to do with how the kids are fighting each other and the horrible things they do to each other trust me it gets ugly in the household of david and what even seems under completely legitimate reasons david throws one of his sons absalom out of his life absalom's like get out of here absalom he's in exile don't show up or you're and the hubris of the king saying you my son i will never forgive leads to what is kind of the end of david's monarchy at least his story of monarchy it's the attempted uh coup overthrowing absalom his son tries to take away his kingdom from his father it doesn't work david remains on the throne but that's basically how david's life ends I realize if you just look at the David and Goliath story, you might have to look at Proverbs and go, we need to change that. But if you look at the whole story, 
there is this context of when David becomes the king, his pride goes up, and he always stands on the edge of his kingdom falling. I mean, at the very least, to think about it, uh, at the end of their lives, who do you think got to have the life they wanted? Peter may have died a criminal's death, a lot like Jesus, and he probably did. He was probably crucified, probably crucified upside down. But he reconciled with Jesus, he reconciled with God, and he became the rock on which Jesus built his church. David is still the king on which they follow through on, but when he dies, his family is scattered all over the place. There's not been any reconciliation. In fact, it's probably worse than it's ever been. Pride comes before a fall. So those are a couple of Bible uh, explanations of it, but I do have one, because again, it's observe your world, not just Bible stories, explore your world. And this is, here's, here's why this phrase came up in my mind this week. You guys know I finished up Human AMP, the class, and I started Psych psychology this last week, which, by the way, when I used to talk about biology, I would say, I, know, I now know just enough biology to be dangerous. <laughs> Wait till you hear me on psychology. <laughs> but here's the, one of the first concepts we had to start dealing with this week. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. You ever heard of it? All right, some of you have. Here, this is the way it was explained to me. There was this guy named MacArthur Wheeler. Okay. MacArthur Wheeler. MacArthur Wheeler walked into a bank with a gun, no mask, waving at the cameras, and robbed the bank. He takes his bag full of money, he leaves, they call the cops, but he heads over to bank number two and tries to do it again. Of course, by this point, no mask, waving at the cameras, he gets arrested at bank number two. And MacArthur Wheeler is shocked. MacArthur Wheeler is shocked that he got arrested because he thought he was invisible. MacArthur Wheeler thought he was invisible because he had just learned that the way you make disappearing ink is out of lemon juice. And so he rubbed his entire body from head to toe in lemon juice and then thought he could walk into a bank and nobody would see him and he could rob it. So he could wave at the cameras and there would be nothing there. They had to take his picture to convince him they could see him. And that led these two uh, psychologists named Dunning and Kruger to do some observational study stuff, right? So they went to this company full of engineers. Hundreds of people worked at this company as engineers. And they did a survey of them and asked all of them, like, in what percentage, like, where would you, within this company, what percentage of engineers would you put, would you rank yourself in? Top 10, top 15, top 20%. 42% of the engineers in the company believed they were in the top 5% of the company. Let me say that again. 42% of the engineers believed they were in the top five, which can't be right, right? I mean, the top five are the top five, but 42% think they're that good. And it's true of all of us too. They did a survey about, people who, about people's driving habits, and it turns out the majority of us believe that we are above average drivers. But again, you can't have, the average is set by the average people, person. More people can't be above their own the average, right? 
So the psychologists are like, look, this is actually normal human behavior. It is clear that the more confidence you have reflects your lack of competence. Okay, let me say that again. Incompetent, let me say it the other way. Incompetent people have an inflated sense of confidence. They think they know more than they know. They do. And we all kind of live on this spectrum as human beings. And by the way, the opposite is true as well. You interview the people who really are in those top 5% or above average, and they have the flip side. Their competence actually leads them to be less confident. If you want to talk about proverbs, how about this for a proverb? The more you know, the more you realize all that you don't know. And that's the basic difference here, is people who think they know and just accept the fact that they know everything, or know a lot, end up being incompetent. And the people who are truly competent are there because they constantly said to themselves, I don't know that yet, I don't know that yet. And then they learned, right? So there's this big curve where the two are opposite, confidence, confidence and competency. So we literally have an observation in the world. This is what made me think of it this week, is literally we have an observation in the world by modern-day psychologists that goes, yes, pride comes before a fall. You know, it's a bright golden line, and one of those phrases that I bet you've heard before that you may not even realize was in the Bible, but she kind of guides the way you think about life, a bright golden line, pride comes before a fall, has probably dictated some of your behavior. And that's good, because whether it's the ancient world or right now, it's true of human nature. Pride seems to come before a fall. But what I like about Dunning-Kruger and what else they said was recognize this. There's a second half to this proverb that didn't get caught by the ancient wisdom literature. It's also, you might actually be the competent one. Who should be the ones in the world participating, putting their opinions out there, making moves in their own life to act? Ironically, it's the very people who don't have the confidence to do it that are often the ones who would actually be the most competent at it. So that golden rule is, yes, pride comes before a fall, but you also have to have the self-esteem to recognize, no, I do have some knowledge. As a break on the line, let this one stand in the place of recognizing yet again that, you know, life is an art and not a science. The give and take between what you know and what you don't know, the, the ability to self-reflect, to be critical of yourself and also have a positive sense of yourself is a thing that matters. This art, not science. To both believe in yourself and also be self-critical of yourself. As a proverb, remember this. Learning doesn't come from your successes. It comes from your failures. Have you heard that one before? I've probably preached that one before. It's one of my favorite ones. When you're learning, you're not learning from your success. That's just reaffirming the thing you already know. When you learn, you learn because something went wrong and you analyze it. 
let that be the artful skill of, of both the encouragement that you know something and yet there is stuff you don't know. Learn from your failures. And then I'll, I'll close with this. One more proverbial thought. One of my own. I created it so we can have a conversation about whether or not you think this makes sense or not. I've been working on this one for a while. Okay, here we go. Wisdom in action is not confidence. Okay? Wisdom in action is not confidence. Wisdom in action, action is resolve. If I were writing a book of Proverbs, that would be what I would add. The difference is this. Confidence is, again, that thinking you know something. I know it. I'm right. And then you act on that. That's not wisdom. Wisdom in action is going, I don't know if I'm right. I'm not confident about it. There's a bunch I don't know, but I still need to act. So what's the next thing I'm going to try? What's the next thing that I might believe and willing to put my foot out into the world and say, I think that's the next right thing. I don't know it is, but I've resolved, I'm resolved that that is what I'm going to do. Wisdom in action is not confidence. Wisdom in action is resolve. That you've done the work of recognizing your own not knowing, but you're also not going to fail to act in your life because of it. You're going to try and figure out what the next right thing is, and you are going to try. That's wisdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word this morning. Help our brains and our hearts and our whole lives to do the work that the ancient Israelites and the Proverbs knew to do, which is take everything around us and understand that it came from you. And that we can learn about you and ourselves when we decide that we stop thinking we already know it all. And we start trying to discover all that we don't know yet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's, um, let's sing our next one. You guys want to stand? You've been sitting too long? Yes? Okay, stand up with me. Just a closer walk with thee.